I'm Danielle. And I'm Christy. And you are listening to Snacks with Stein. Let's do it. Snacks with Stein. I'm Christy. Danielle's in California. It's still hot, uh, which I guess is to be expected because it's July. Yeah, it's just been weird, like muggy weather. I'm hoping we're not getting another hot week. I don't want it in my life. So, why, Danielle? Your voice sounds so clear and (laughs) professional. Why? Why is that? Because. I got a new mic. I'm super (gasps) fancy now. Yes. So we were able to purchase for Danielle for the show a big girl mic. And we were able to use money that our patrons give us for that. So we want to say thank you once again to everybody who supports the show on Patreon. The reason that we can hear Danielle's beautiful voice even clearer than it's ever been before. <laughs> Thank you, patrons. Thank you, everyone. All right. So what are you going to have, Danielle? What are you eating? I am having pink and white cookies from Trader Joe's. And they're basically circus animals without the animal. And they're, the, 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 the coating is made from yogurt instead of whatever circus animals are made from. <laughs> So. Ooh, is there sprinkles involved? Yes. They're like, I think they're pretty much a carbon copy of a circus animal. So you got sprinkles and they're pink and they're white, but they're not animals. They're just a little flower shape. That is delicious. Are you cutting that with any kind of like tea or coffee or just water? Yeah, like, sometimes when things boring. are really sweet, I need to like a- Adding water. Okay, okay. My water has lemon in it. So. Well, that is fancy. Do you have ice? Yes. <laughs> fancy. I don't know why. Like, I always feel really proud of myself. Like, I'm an adult when I take time to put ice in my water. <laughs> Stupid. Okay. Well, you enjoy those because I have quite the story for you this week. I, I remember reading this one. Specifically, I remember reading this one in the bathtub and I dropped it. <laughs> Uh, so like so so this one when I was younger like the copy I had when I was younger like it was always like wavy from being dropped in the t- <laughs> so yeah so I remember reading it I didn't remember that this is how it went I kind of thought we were going to go in another direction and we ended up going somewhere else so it's going to be pretty interesting I chose this book because last time we did One Evil Summer and I wanted to carry on kind of the summer theme before we shift to more fall type books because I feel like that's coming. We love a holiday theme on this show, you know, so Mm -hmm. if you're listening out of season, you know, just hold on. We'll get to your season eventually. (laughs) So on the cover of this book, we have two young girls and they're sunbathing on the beach. There's a blonde and a brunette. And there is this very kind of evil looking shadow being cast onto them from somewhere like behind the camera that we can't see. 
And I know that they're supposed to look frightened, but they look more like kind of startled and pissed off that like someone's like blocking their light. And the tagline reads, there's no vacation from the terrors on Fear Street. Mm. Uh. <laughs> and it's copyrighted by Archway Paperback in 1991. So this is something new. This book is written in three different parts. Part one is called Summer Plans. You know, Danielle, some days you just want to summon a spirit. You draw your pinnacle on the floor. You've done all the right rituals, but it's really hard to block out the noise around you enough to concentrate. Jan is really trying, but it doesn't work. What she thinks is an approaching spirit from beyond the veil turns out to be her friends. And they start to ask her what the fuck she's doing in the attic trying to be a witch, okay? She kind of like <laughs> brushes that question aside. Oh, it's fine. You're good. And uh, the, the friends are like, okay, well, we came. We have, we have great news. All of our parents have agreed and we can all go to Piney Island for the summer. Piney Island. Piney Island. And Jan is ecstatic. And she says she's going to call her Aunt Rose right away. She's going to tell her to expect them all. Because Aunt Rose owns an old New England inn on Piney Island. I know, right? And she's invited all of them to stay at the inn and work there for the entire summer. Jan says that this inn is most certainly haunted, as all New England inns are. And they're like, oh, you know, we're not worried. We don't believe in that stuff. And they kind of give her a lot of shit about being a spooky bitch. Jan is a spooky bitch. I like Jan. I know. I like this girl. But our friends are kind of jerks about it. They, they don't let her mm -hmm. Like, they just, by the way, you're weird. We want you to know you're weird. <laughs> um, but we like you. But, you know, just know that, like, you're definitely on the bottom rung of our totem pole oh. because you're you're that guy. You're weird. <laughs> yeah. So in the next scene we switch to Kari's point of view. And Kari is blonde haired and blue eyes. Okay. And this is great. Stein compares her to a model on the cover of Sassy or Seventeen. Okay. Oh, I remember Seventeen because it was a shit. But what the hell is Sassy? idea. Was that a I thing? Told you, I had 17, but I don't remember it. Did I it miss the Google. sassy train? Right now. I don't know if this is something he's fabricated or something I just wasn't cool enough for, because I definitely had 17. I do not remember sassy. Sassy magazine. Let's see. Oh yeah, it does exist. It's a defunct general interest teen magazine. Uh, the first issue was in 1988 and the final issue was in 1996. That's probably because it was too... Well, 96 though. I mean, we should have been right in that wheelhouse. I guess not. I know. Well, so we missed the sassy train. We're not cool enough for sassy, but Kari is beautiful. That's the point. Everybody needs to know Kari's real hot. Any hoodles. So, she's packing to leave her this summer and her parents, who are pretty sure that the sun actually rises and sets in Kari's ass, are like <laughs> gushing about how they're gonna miss her. 
and Jan and her Aunt Rose arrive at Kari's house on Fear Street. They're there to pick her up and head off to the inn. Now Jan is also beautiful, of course, but she's the opposite of Kari. Kari's a summer, Jan's a winter, okay? Jan's all about being a spooky bitch. We know that from the craft earlier. <laughs> She's got this like ivory skull pendant she wears around her neck. She says it wards off evil spirits. Jan's our kind of gal. Is this girl me? Is this book about me? Maybe should we just start referring to her as Danielle? Would it make you feel better? <laughs> yes. Also, I'd like to interject going back to Sassy. According to Wikipedia, Sassy was intended as a feminist counterpoint to Seventeen and YM magazine. I just, I'm really upset that I missed that. So there were no photo layouts cool. because that's there probably was. why I didn't get it. <laughs> there was, but like the, I mean, the articles are all very like, are you punk rock? Like, <laughs> oh, okay. dying young. The Tragedy of Teen Suicide. Oh, this is a serious publication. That's also why I didn't get it. <laughs> was... Is there sex in cyberspace? <laughs> Listen, if there's not a fold-out poster of Devin Sawa inside, I'm not sure I'm interested, okay? If JTT isn't in the June issue, <laughs> that's not going to paper my walls. Yeah, it's true. I don't. I mean, I might have got some good clothes out of it, but I don't know if you'd get any boyfriends out of it. I'm just saying that was pretty much my criteria. <laughs> yes. For magazine wanting. Is there a poster? Thank you. Yes, it's got to have the sticky, and it comes out of the middle. Okay. But okay, so yes, Kari and Jan, they're both hot. Jan's a spooky bitch. They're talking to her parents. Stein takes a long uh, time to let us know that they're very excited to be like going to the best summer of their lives. So, okay, so let me break it down. It breaks down like this. Aunt Rose owns the Howling Wolf Inn. It's on a small private island off the coast of New England. The inn is the only thing on the island and you can only get there by boat. The island is covered in tall pine trees, and there's a thick woods that surrounds the old inn. The girls are going to work and stay there with two other kids, Chris, who's Kari's mom approves of, and Eric, who Kari's mom does not approve of because he has a ponytail. <laughs> and we all know that boys with ponytails just want to get it. So mom is understandably on edge about sending her daughter off with them for the summer. But Aunt Rose has said, you know, she'll be keeping a close eye on the kids. She's going to be there to chaperone. It's going to be great. Kari goes off with Jan and Rose and they head off to pick up the boys. Eric is trying his hardest to be that guy. Okay. Eric has the ponytail. He's got the diamond stud. He's wearing a Hawaiian shirt. He's bringing his surfboard with him, right? And he chatters endlessly on the ride to the inn about all the hot babes he's going to be like meeting and hooking up with, working by the pool this summer. Okay? That's sure. Eric. Craig is a polo shirt wearing, boat shoes having, my dad's a lawyer, sunglasses on head kind of guy right? He's equally as horny as Eric. 
He's just not <laughs> trying as hard. Okay, Eric's more laid back cool. Aunt Rose is driving this van of hot teenagers up to her inn to work for the summer. I mean, what could go wrong? So they're laughing and singing and they're chanting, party summer, party summer. But when they get out on the Cape, Aunt Rose starts to feel bad. Like really bad. Like she has to pull the van over and she said she feels this like sharp shooting pain on the left side of her stomach. Jan wants to take her to the hospital, but Aunt Rose says she doesn't believe in hospitals. She wants to be taken to her sister Aline's house, which is on the way. It's on the way. Aline's house is on the way. Also, Aline is a nurse. So take me to Aunt Aline's house. We'll stop there. I'll get some rest and we'll still have plenty of time to catch the ferry to go out to the island. Aunt Aline has a house right on the beach and I can't get this like practical magic vibe out of my head. Aunt Eileen's yeah. house is, it's not as huge as the Practical Magic House, but it's like the whole family of spooky bitches and like the New England coast. That's the vibe I'm getting. The dream. Right. Oh, everybody loves Practical Magic. <laughs> Do you know what um, I think undersung was when they had that short run of um, the Witches of East End? Mm. I enjoyed yes. that show, but it was it only got like two seasons because they little they went a little weird with it on the yeah. second one, mm -hmm. and then they were like, mm, maybe not. And I liked that Salem one too. Mm -hmm. That was like more serious, but that didn't last long either, and that was decent. I feel like they get to a certain place and they don't know where to go. Yeah, and they take some weird turns with it. But yeah, no, I liked that one. So yeah, so they get to Aunt Eileen's house. She comes out. Very concerned for Rose. Rose goes in and lays down. The kids all go out to the beach to check it out at low tide. And Kari keeps, like, checking her watch. You know, she's worried they're going to miss the ferry. It only runs once a day, so if they miss it today, they'll have to wait until tomorrow. Aunt Rose comes out with Aunt Eileen. She's like, listen, I'm doing a lot better. I just need to get a little more rest. You guys, we're going to take you guys down to the boat launch you guys go on ahead without me. I'll call Simon. I'll let him know you're coming. Um, and I'll be along tomorrow. So Eileen puts all the teens on the ferry boat and they disembark for Piney Island for their first night at the inn. Completely on their own. And here we say again, where are <laughs> your parents? <laughs> so they sail off. And it's beautiful. It's almost deserted. And Simon, who is supposed to send the car to pick them up from the dock, for some reason, he's not done that. He's forgotten. The ferry boat driver tells them, okay, well, this is the only road. You take this only road to the only building on the island. You'll be fine. And he kind of fucks off. Like, he leaves them all there at the dock. They wait for a few minutes to, show, to see if anyone will show up to get them. And then they decide they're just going to walk it. And they start walking up the road to the gatehouse and when they reach the gate they try to push it open but it's locked and they're talking about the possibility of maybe spending the night on the beach and Craig's like ah oh, no there's this latch over here I found it now the gate is open the big iron gate swings open and they all start up the road through the woods to the inn the inn comes into view and it's just what you'd imagine it is a beautiful beach 
resort. It's a huge hotel painted white with red roofs and red turrets. Wide manicured lawn. There's a giant pool and a pool house. They can see the beach beyond the house with the perfect white sand and the wooden lounge chairs set out in rows. There's a huge screened-in front wraparound porch on the first level and it's filled with all these wicker rocking chairs. The place looks like a fucking dream. There's only one problem. Where was everyone? The inn was completely deserted. The pool lay undisturbed by kids and vacationers. The rocking chairs were all empty. Literally, there was no one in sight. They go up the steps and they ring the bell. No answer. They ring again. And a pale man opens the door a crack and tells them to go away. The inn is closed. And it's not escaped me that this is all very Scooby-Doo of them. <laughs> Am I right? I mean, there's yeah. like, is there an old amusement park on the island as well? Because I feel like that's what we're going <laughs> to learn next. So they're all standing on the porch. They're just kind of looking at each other. Uh, and the door opens again. And now it is this very elegant looking, kind of well-dressed older man. And he apologizes for the behavior of his servant. And he introduces himself as Simon Fear the Third. Oh. Kari says that she lives on Fear Street in Shadyside, and there's an old burned-down mansion that was said to have belonged to a Simon Fear. Simon says that the mansion on Fear Street had belonged to his great uncle, and that Simon had not been back to Shadyside in years. But yes, that is his family's house that she lives by. Simon owns the Howling Wolf Inn, and now he lives here full time. He laughs and asks how everything is back on Fear Street, and if all the people in the Fear Street Cemetery are all still dead. And then he laughs for an uncomfortable amount of time at his own <laughs> joke. And the kids are like, yeah, okay. And like kind of putter into like the little lobby area. So right off the bat, I'm getting like creepy old money vibes from Simon Fear the Third and this little Renfield guy. But also, yeah. I'd be lying if I didn't say it wasn't kind of hot. I mean, Stein doesn't say that he's hot, but that would be cool. <laughs> Like, I'm definitely getting... You're just I'm projecting. Yeah. He lets them into the lobby, which is distorted. And he tells them, you know, he's very surprised to see them. The inn is closed. You know, he sent Rose a letter overnight last week. Because all the phones are out. You see, in the off-season, Simon was doing some refurbishments to the inn. And halfway through construction, the crew just picked up and left. He's working on getting the work done for the inn to make it guest ready, but he asked Rose in the letter not to send the kids to work for another two to three weeks when they'd be ready to reopen. She must not have gotten his letter, but you know, he's happy to put them up for the night and they can go back on the ferry tomorrow. Simon asks if they'd all eaten and they say no, and he leads them into this giant dining room with these huge bay windows that are overlooking glittering water. 
There's scaffolding and drop cloths and half-painted moldings where the kids can see where the crew literally had just stopped what they were doing and took off. Everybody's super bummed. Everybody's upset. So much for party summer and meeting hot babes. Am I right? Back on the boat tomorrow, Simon's little Renfield guy, his name is Martin. Martin throws together a dinner while Simon and the kids start chatting. Simon says his brother Edward also lives at the inn, but that Edward is severely depressed and will most likely not come down the stairs at all now that there are people here. That's not weird. No, it's not weird. It's fine. Leave him upstairs. Simon's also upset about the situation uh, with the refurbishment. You know, it should have been done by now and the inn could open. It's really hurting the business. Eric has a brilliant idea. Both he and Craig are really good in shop class. They could stay on at the inn and help along the repairs until the crew workers come. The girls insist that they could help as well. They'll do a really good job painting and fixing things. Martin hates this idea. And he lists a thousand different reasons why the kids should go home the next day. You know, aside from not being licensed contractors and it also being dangerous and, oh yeah, they're minors, Martin reminds Simon that Edward would not like it. But Simon brushes him off and says that, you know, it'll do his depressed brother some good to have young people in the house. They can stay as long as they promise not to spend all their time working and spending plenty of time on the beach which earns him a round of cheers of party summer weird kid <laughs> i mean they're completely on another planet i don't yeah and then i'm still confused by like why we have the one goth friend like we have one goth friend and everyone else is like preppy people you know she's got an aunt that's got a connection to an inn that's... Yeah, I guess we're just using her for the inn. <laughs> well, and you know, in previous books, like, he's talked about, like, them drinking beer and stuff like that. But, like, he makes no mention of them, like, actually trying to get drunk or whatever. Like, their idea of, like, party summer is, I guess, just to be at a beach. Martin leads them upstairs after dinner to their rooms. He has set them up in rooms in the old wing of the inn. And old is right. Okay, so I keep picturing the rooms from... Do you remember A Haunting? Yes, Liam Neeson and Catherine Zeta-Jones from the late 90s. Okay, so it's like that. Lots of wallpaper, um, wood paneling, big four-poster beds, lots of antique furnishings. Yeah, it's a lot of this clean. I just, I remember The Haunting had a lot of deaths. Like, it did. It did. With all those ghosts, <laughs> you'd think they'd put them to work. But because Martin is a dude, he has put all of their block of rooms right together. So the boys and girls have rooms that are like basically next door. Mm. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. as Martin is leaving Kari in her room, he looks at her and tells her that they should not stay at the inn. It's not safe. They need to get out. Get out as soon as they can. And he leaves. So, good night. <laughs> Hope you're alive when you wake up. It's just so comical to me. I just have that, like, I just feel like he, like, held her eye contact until he, like, the very last possible second. Yeah. <laughs> Get out. 
slowly <laughs> closing the door, keeping eye contact. Yeah. <laughs> Very cartoony. Mm-hmm. So the next day, Eric and Kari, they're laying out on the beach. They're soaking in the sun. They're talking shit about Jan. Because Jan <laughs> likes ghosts and they think that's weird. And they're saying stuff loud enough so that when Jan walks up, she can overhear everything they're saying. And Jan being Jan is like, screw you guys. Please stop talking shit about me. I don't think it's that weird. Like you're at my hands in. Yeah, pretty much. She doesn't go so far <laughs> as to be like, I'm the reason you're here. Mm, but I feel like it's implied. But Kari kind of brushes it off. She tries to smooth things over. She's like, hey, come join us. Come lay out. Jan's like, all right, cool. So she lays down. They're having a beach day. They're, they're having a good time. That evening, after swimming, Martin prepares them a picnic basket dinner. And it is the shit of my adult dreams. I can't imagine a bunch of teenagers getting treated to something like this, but whatever. They spread out this blanket on the beach, and they pull out of their basket lobster. What? Clam chowder. Salad. And fresh French bread. This is in a picnic basket? Yeah, yeah, Martin has packed them a picnic basket because they've been swimming and on the beach all day. And now that the sun has gone down, they're going to have this picnic basket. He's even put in a few little candles for them to light. They're on the beach. I feel like that would get blown out. Yeah, it would get blown away and blown out, and they wouldn't appreciate all that. And like I and I was about to say, when I packed a picnic, which is many, many moons ago, it was like, here's a crappy sandwich. Yeah. Here's <laughs> got, like squid. And would you like some bagged chips? Because I thought <laughs> those. I got some corn nuts at the gas station. <laughs> <laughs> That's the level that I'm operating at. So when I hear a lobster picnic, I'm like, what? <laughs> yes and to be totally honest like again there's no booze for a spread like this to truly enjoy it i'm gonna need at least two bottles of red for four people they're enjoying their like movie style dinner beach picnic and they (laughs) notice that there's someone on a dune kind of off in the distance watching them who could it be care to guess danielle who's on the dune jeez we haven't really met anyone yet. There's no good guesses. It'd be weird if Martin was over there. <laughs> it would be Peter weird. Creek. But it would be also kind of Martin of him. Yeah. Uh, I just, I see like big eyebrows over eyeballs. Like <laughs> Every time I think of Martin. Now it's Simon. Simon is looking very oh, elegant He's strolling along the beach in a white linen suit. He is carrying a bottle of wine because he knows what's up, as well as a glass. And he kind of strolls over and asks them how dinner was. And they're like, oh, it's great. Uh, Jan asks if Aunt Rose was on the ferry that day because she was supposed to follow them. Simon apologizes. He said, you know, she wasn't on the ferry. She must have decided to spend more time with her sister in town. He's sure she's fine. She'll be out to the island soon. Suspicious. They ask Simon about his family. And Kari tells him, you know, she can see the mansion, the the ruins of the old mansion from her bedroom window on Fear Street. 
Jan begs Simon to tell him all he knows about his ancestors. Being from Shadyside, they've all heard the stories that surround the old family of that burnt-down house. After some prodding, Simon tells the story of his great-uncle Simon Fear. And this is the first time in the history of Snacks with Stein that we get a little backstory on Fear Street. And I know that there is a series of books about the origins, and we will cover those eventually. But as far as this show goes, this is it. So hang on to your shorts. (laughs) Simon Fear and his wife, Angelica, were some of the first settlers to Shadyside. They built their mansion in the woods well before there was a fear street or a fear area. Simon was very wealthy, but no one really knew where his wealth came from, or in fact, where Simon came from. In the beginning, they were like high society types who threw lavish parties and and, and went out and met people. They went to, you know, to church. They were big people in the town. But once the house was built, it was built kind of on the outskirts of town because Simon wanted to keep his two daughters that he had with Angelica on property at all times. He wanted to keep them locked up. He loved them. He showered them with gifts. He brought tutors in for school and performers for their birthdays. But he never really wanted them to leave the grounds. Then one day, the girls went into the woods around the house to play and just never came back. Simon was furious and he mounted this huge search, but it wasn't until weeks later that their dead bodies were found. The strange thing was the bodies of Simon Fear's daughters were missing all their bones. No bones in them at all. Piles of lumpy flesh in the shape of two little girls only. Ew. And after that day, the lights in the Fear Mansion were never seen on again. Angelica was said to have gone mad with the death of her daughters, and people from the town could hear her screaming from deep inside Fear Woods. Simon also lost it, But not just his mind, Simon lost everything. He lost his fortune. Anything of value left in the house was auctioned off. And then one day, the house caught fire. They don't know who said it, but Angelica did die in the fire, and Simon just disappeared. And no one ever saw him again. He finishes the story and Jan's like, oh, you know, it got kind of cold here on the beach. I'm going to run up to the inn for a sweater. She's gone for a few minutes and they hear her screaming like a crazy person. They all run up to the inn to see what's the matter. And Jan swears she has just seen a ghost. A woman in a white old fashioned dress with big black eyes. Simon asks Martin to get her some tea and everyone tries to calm her down and eventually... They all head off to bed. 
real quick because it comes up in the next scene when was the last time that you heard of flip-flops being referred to as thongs oh god that takes me back to like probably (laughs) middle school days because nobody said flip-flops no nobody said flip-flops they all said thongs thongs you got your thongs on my grandma still says that she like still says she thongs. Asks, like, yeah, like if we have those kind of shoes, like she'll she'll say that. So she's the only one that still says it. Well, it's everybody a- else. Is like, oh, blah. Well, and when this happened, I was like, it's one of those strange things where you're like, oh yeah, I remember that. That was a normal thing, but I completely forgot about it till this second. I wonder if thong underwear replaced the term thongs for shoes. Because, like, if you're referring to, like, because how the thong underwear had, like, a popular resurgence at one time, and it was, like, everything was about it. So I wonder if that, like, is why we no longer refer to them as thongs. I need to look up the origin of the word, because I'm wondering if, because you know how, like, they have the two straps that then, like, go in between your toes? Yeah. So it's, it's mm-hmm. like, the same shape as, like, the thong panties that go down your butt crack. Like, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if that's Who why. came up with it first? <laughs> I don't know. Well, anyways, Stein has Carrie walking down the hall in rubber thongs in this next, <laughs> in this next scene. That night, Card can't sleep. I wonder why. So she gets up. She puts on her thongs, and she heads down to the kitchen in the dark mansion to get something to drink. Good plan. Right? There's been a ghost sighting, but it's fine. You get that water. She pads down the long corridors in the middle of the night. She's turning and trying to find her way, but each hallway looks like the one before it. And then she hears a creak. What sounds like footstep? Right behind her. And then she hears her name on a long whisper. Kari. Kari. Nope. She starts running. Good girl. But the voice keeps calling her name. She's turning at random now, running to get away from the voice. And she stops at the sound of loud voices. She's in front of a door with no room number. And she leans in closer. She recognizes Simon's voice. He's arguing with a woman. And she's begging him not to throw a party. And that's the end of part one. Don't throw a party. No, no parties. I simply can't. Something I would say, like, please, God, don't throw a party. There's a listen. It's quarantine. Don't throw a party. Don't throw a party. It's not going anywhere. It will be there next year. Promise. I will come. Don't throw the party now. Let's wait. So part two is called The Invitation. So Kari runs back, and she can't go to sleep, obviously. So she wakes Jan up, 
And she's like, hey, Jan, I believe you. Things are creepy. There's ghosts. I'm sorry. I was kind of a bitch about it. No, Jan say, F you. No, Jan's pretty smug because she's like, yeah, I know. I've known all along. (laughs) Tried to tell you. Tried to tell you. So they all hug it out, whatever. So in the next morning, they eat breakfast. They go to the dining room. When Martin comes in, excuse me, they go to the dining room and they get to work. Martin comes in and tells them, you know, we need to sand this molding over here. We need to strip this wallpaper over here. Tells them what they need to start doing and where to get started. So they get to work. And then later, when he comes back with lunch, they ask him if there's a woman staying at the inn or if Simon had company the night before. Martin says that no woman has stayed at the inn since Simon's wife, Greta, died years ago. Jan says that when they're done, she's going to go and see if she can get a hold of her aunt. She still can't seem to reach her at Aline's, and her parents haven't heard from her aunt either. So when they all finish up and head out for a break, Kari is really involved in whatever project she's doing. She's like, you guys go ahead. I want to finish this spot. Like, I'll, I'll catch up to you. She's working away, and she notices someone come into the room. She thinks it might be Eric. But when she turns around, who is it, Daniel? It's not. It's a woman. No, it is Edward Fear. Oh, the super depressed, creepy guy that no one's seen so far. Oh, he came out of his room. The very Jane Eyre esque <laughs> dude that lives in this inn, right? Yeah. Edward looks just like his brother Simon in coloring only, though. Simon is elegant, okay? He's very coiffed. This dude is ruffled. He looks super crazy. And to top it off in a very soap opera kind of way, he's got an eye patch. Oh my god. Over his right eye. And it gets better. He carries a hunting rifle, but he uses it like a cane. Sometimes he grips the barrel and bears down on the stock. And sometimes he'll flip it over and use it the other way. Which, if we could just stop for a minute here and talk a little bit of gun safety. Everything <laughs> loaded, unloaded, working, not. You never, ever, ever cover the barrel of a gun with your hand. Just don't. Just don't. make it a habit. Never do that. PSA. Mm-hmm. Look that shit up. There's whole books on guns. He needs to be a Halloween costume. He really kind of does. Like, it's very, like... Again, I go back to Scooby-Doo. Like, every character we meet is very animated, kind of over the top. This would have been an excellent Scooby-Doo. Kiss could have shown up and helped us, like, solve the mystery. Yes. So Carrie's like, oh, hi, you must be Edward. And and he's like, yeah, I know who you are. I was told you guys were here. Uh, You know, where's everybody at? And she's like, oh, you know, they went out for a break. And Edward's like, well, have you seen my brother? Carrie says, no, she hasn't seen him. But uh, if he comes through, she'll tell Simon that Edward is looking for him. And Edward starts to leave, but says that, you know, Kari and her friends, they have to come to the party. He insists that they make no other plans. They all have to be at the party. No one must leave. 
before the party. And then he leaves. Okay. <laughs> Don't leave, but I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> you stay. Me go. <laughs> so now we jump to that evening. And Kari has agreed to a midnight stroll on the beach with Eric. They're gonna stroll. But Kari's a little unsure, okay? She's known Eric since they were kids. She's never really been into him. So he's really cute, okay? He's got that long blonde hair that we all fantasized about in the early 90s. He's wearing some <laughs> awesome denim cutoffs. He's already super tan and she was thinking she would definitely smash. They meet up outside their rooms and she's telling Eric, you know, she's really worried about Aunt Rose. It's been days. She should have been here by now. And Eric's like, yeah, I'm really worried too. So you want to go to the beach? So they go, okay, and it's perfect. It's a big full moon out. The waves are hitting the white sand in a gentle rhythm. Eric and Kari are walking hand in hand, and everything is perfect. He kind of catches her off guard and kisses her. And she's into it. He's a good kisser. But they hear a sound coming from nearby bushes, like someone's watching them. Ew. Obviously, that kind of breaks up the mood. <laughs> so they look around. They don't find anybody. They decide, well, you know, it's late. We're just going to call a night, going to run up to the house. We got to first base. We're happy. We're good. The next day, they're back at work. They're in the dining room. And the boys are about to climb up onto a scaffolding with a power sander to sand off the paint on the ceiling moldings. Okay. It's really bad. Yeah, these are teenagers. They're good at shop, though. It's fine. Sorry. Have we established how old they are? Like, um, yeah, I can't really get it in my brain how old they might be. The, he doesn't say, except for in the beginning when Aunt Rose gets sick in the car and has to pull over. Jan takes over driving to drive them to her aunt's house. And Stein says that she is just got her license like a week ago. Okay, so, so they have to be like 16, 17. Okay, okay. They're all shacked up for the summer. Mm -hmm. um, it's like church camp. Somebody's going to come home pregnant. <laughs> uh, let's see. So they're going to hook up this power sander. They're going to uh, sand some of the sealing moldings. Jan uh, says that she's looked all over for Simon that morning, but she can't find him. She wants Simon to take the ferry into town to see what's up with Aunt Rose. It's been days, and she should have been here. The girls are discussing this, and the boys start to scream. The scaffolding is swaying beneath them, and then it collapses. The boys are clutching anything to slow their fall to the ground. Craig tore off this like long section of wallpaper as he went down. Somehow... Both of the boys seem to be okay. But when they look up to the place where the wallpaper had been, they see a door. Okay. 
Someone had wallpapered right over it years and years ago. And Jan starts to back up and warns the others not to touch it. It was covered for a reason and she can feel that this mysterious door is evil. So naturally, Eric goes over and opens it. <laughs> and this door opens to a passageway. It's a tunnel leading deeper into the inn. So what do we do, Danielle? Obviously, we have to go in the stupid passageway. Are you sure? Because Jan just said it was evil. Well, if they're smart, they'll listen to Jan. But I don't think the book's over yet, so. <laughs> you make excellent points. Yeah, no, they're going to get some <laughs> flashlights and check it out. So they get their flashlights and they decide to go exploring. The tunnel is long and dark. There are these huge, pale spiders the size of grapes crawling Ew. up the walls and hanging and from silks and above their heads. Podcast is over. <laughs> and you know I'm a jerk and gonna put some good sound effects in there too. <laughs> <laughs> So they're trying not to touch the walls and they're walking these echoey steps. And Jan says she thinks this must be a smuggling tunnel. It probably leads right down to the beach where ships could unload goods and then take them to the inn without being seen. They reach a fork. Yeah, like either in Prohibition or even if you go farther back, they used to do that with like pirates. If they oh, were right. uh, smuggling different different uh, things they had stolen from ships at sea, then they could unload their stuff from the beach and take it directly up to the house. That makes sense. Um, so they reach a fork in the tunnel, and they decide to take the passage on the right. At the end of the tunnel is another door. The other side of this door is a small room. It's just big enough for a table and a few benches. And on the table is a human skull. Oh. Jan picks it up and declares that it's real and that it's sticky. Ew. And then she goes all Zach Baggins on us. And she's nice. saying that this must be protoplasm left <laughs> from the ghost. Dude. Hey, Zach Baggins. Bro. <laughs> Either way, yeah, she's next next she's gonna get possessed by a demon. Just watch. <laughs> so they're freaked out. They start running back to the door to the dining room, but when they get there, it's closed. It's shut tight and the boys can't get it open. They're trapped. The only thing they can do is go back down the tunnel and see if there's a way out down the other passageway. So off they go again. And this time they take the passage on the left, but it forks and they have to choose. And then that tunnel forks and again and again, and they find themselves in an underground maze. No, thank you. <laughs> Are you out? I'm out. <laughs> You don't like the big fighters? 
hate mazes, and then you got a spider on top of it. She has spider maze. Like, no, thank you. Spider maze. <laughs> now we're getting into Goosebumps territory. On their next Goosebumps episode, we have Spider Maze. That would be another good name for our band, though. Spider Maze. Yes. <laughs> Very hardcore. Well, some of the tunnels have tons of spiders. Some of them have, like, water dripping from the ceiling. But it's clear that they are now lost. They have no clue how to get out. Or even just to get back to the door that leads to the dining room. They keep walking. They, they don't have anything else to do. And after what <laughs> feels like hours, they see two slits of daylight and they start running for them. It was a hatch. The tunnel did, in fact, come out at the beach. Nice. They are so happy to be out in the sunlight. They all head back up to the house. And when they get there, when they get back to the dining room, they notice that the scaffolding that collapsed had been pushed up against the hidden door. Someone had trapped them in there. Someone named Edward. Is that who you think it was? Well, he's the only one in the damn house. Or was it ghost? I mean, I man. So, like, we have Martin, we have Edward, we have Simon, we have a lady in white ghost. I'm ruling out Martin because Martin warned them to leave. So I don't know why he would be like, I'm warning you to leave, but I'm also going to fuck with you. (laughs) Like, that just seems like diametrically opposed things. Right. Edward is weird. So he seems like the prime suspect. But then, I mean, ghosts can do it, too. Mm. okay well that night at dinner the kids have decided they're going to tell simon about what happened they're going to insist that he find out what's going on with aunt rose but simon doesn't show up for dinner edward does the kids are all stunned because so far Kari's the only one that's seen him so she introduces them and edward doesn't say much he only says that Simon left the inn to go into town. And Kari's like, oh, did he go see about Jan's aunt? And Edward's like, yeah, sure. Your aunt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he leaves. What does this man do? Does he eat? Like, does he have dinner at Menly? Does he take a plate? Is it one of those situations? Like, what? I'm going to grab up with my hands and put it on a plate and then leave like i've done that like when i was busy like thank you for this role peace <laughs> you know okay like- <laughs> no they said in the book that he like they actually i had cut it out but like they they said that he sits down and to okay. like a bowl of chowder like he's a very loud slurpy eater and it's kind of awkward because oh. they're all just staring at each other like uh <laughs> So he slurped his chowder and then leave. And then he, he slurped oh. his chowder. He was creepy. He bounced. Okay? That's like the way it went down. <laughs> so Martin comes in the room again right after Edward leaves. And he's like, you guys seriously need to leave right now. You need to get out before it's too late. And then Edward comes back and kind of busts him. And he's like, Martin, stop making up speeches. Get back in the kitchen. And later that night, Simon comes into the lobby as the teens are playing a game of Scrabble. Because that's what you do at the beach. I love Scrabble. Uh, I can't spell. Not a speller. 
I know a lot of words. I just don't know how to spell them. <laughs> yeah. And my autocorrect was getting high-handed and doing things that I told it not to and putting words in my mouth. And I decided I wasn't <laughs> going to be controlled in that way. So I've turned off the autocorrect. So now everything is misspelled. It's pretty Where awesome. Um, I like when autocorrect makes up the most random shit like my friend and I have a running list of like I meant to say this but it said this (laughs) that's our favorite I always feel embarrassed because like it's one thing to be upset about like something stupid that you said but it's another thing to be upset about something stupid that you didn't even say I know Yeah, it's always scary when you're talking to someone you don't know and you have to do that. Like, with it's your friends, I'm like, whatever, you know what I meant. Or, like, you'll laugh, you know? (laughs) But there's always that one friend that's like, did you mean this? So they're playing Scrabble. Simon's been to town. He has seen Aunt Rose. (gasps) Turns out she did call. She tried to get through to the end, but guess who answered the phone? It was Edward, and he didn't tell anybody. Don't worry about Aunt Rose. She's fine. She'll be on the ferry on Thursday. Should be Thursday. Nothing to worry about. Until around midnight that night when Jan decides this would be a great time to do a little crafting, call (laughs) some spirits to her. She even opens the door of her room for one. And she's not seen at breakfast the next morning. The other kids assume she's just sleeping in. It's a stormy day out today. So they spend most of their day working on the dining room. They get kind of involved in their work. But by 4.30, there's still no sign of Jan. Martin comes in to bring food and he's like, where's the dark haired girl? But no one knows. So they decide that this this is a problem. They're going to go through the house looking for Jan. They pair up, they look everywhere. Jan is fucking gone, okay? And now it's about 8.30 at night. They decide to go to find Simon for help. They need him to take them to get the police. Kari finds the room with no number on it, again, that she was outside of before. And just before they're about to knock, they hear shouting coming from inside the room. The voices belong to Simon, Edward, and the mystery woman. And they're yelling. They're all yelling at each other about the party again. The woman is saying that she's not going. She's not going to go. And Edward's telling her that she has to go. And the woman mouths off to him, and Simon steps in, as it seems that Edward is now pointing that rifle at the woman. And then the gun goes off. Oh, man. Edward bursts out of the rooms and he is looking batshit crazy, saying his brother has had a terrible accident. Kari starts screaming and Martin comes running up the steps. Martin places himself in between the gun-wielding Edward and the kids. Martin's trying to calm Edward down. He's telling him, put down the gun. They can go downstairs. They can talk about this. It's going to be okay. Edward keeps screaming that Simon has had some kind of terrible accident and it wasn't his fault. Martin says, okay, okay, I know. Come on, just put put down the gun and, and we'll go and talk about it. The kids can go back to their rooms. We can figure this out. So Martin is able to talk Edward into going down to the lobby and the kids 
freak out. And there's no way they're not going to go into that room and check and see if someone's hurt. They heard a gun go off. They're pretty sure Simon has been shot and is like bleeding out in the next room or this woman that they've never seen. But when they get in the room, they discover it's actually a suite of rooms with an adjoining like type of sitting room. They're in the sitting room and they find nothing. No signs of a struggle. No people in there. There hasn't been people in there for a while. The only thing that they can show that someone has just been in that room is that there are three teacups with tea in them set out. But that's crazy. They just heard someone get shot. So the kids kind of feel like, you know, they're in the twilight zone. Something's not making sense here. Something's not adding up. So they decide that Edward must have drugged the body out of sight somewhere before coming out of the room. And they need to do a better job of searching for the body. So they search the adjoining rooms. And they don't find anything. When Eric comes out of the room holding a large photo album. And in the album are very, like, Shining-esque pictures of the Howling Wolf Inn, right? Black and whites from the 50s, showing the people that have lived and worked there. You can see pictures of Simon and Aunt Rose and Martin. And there's an inscription below their picture that says, my distant cousin, Rose. Rose and Simon Fear are cousins. They all agree they need to get out of there and they need to find a way to call the police on the next island. The police can come, they can search for Jan, they can search the rooms. It's time to go. They're a little bit freaked out. They want to leave. But then Craig notices something and he says it out loud. Where's the blood? There's no blood. There's no blood on the floor. There's no blood on the walls. There's no blood anywhere. Eric starts kind of tapping around on the walls and turning lamps around and pressing dresser drawer knobs. And Craig's like, what the hell are you doing, bro? He's trying to find some kind of a trap door or a secret switch in the room, like the tunnels that they found in the dining room. He flicks a light switch in the front, in front of him on the wall. And get this, this is great. The bookshelves against the wall begin to rotate. As if on a turntable. On the opposite side of the turntable is a desk. And when Eric hits the switch again, the turntable stops halfway around and they can see behind the turntable is another hidden room. And as they go to check it out on the desk, they find a letter to Jan's aunt, her Aunt Rose. The letter says that they're very sorry but it seems that your niece, Jan, and her three friends who came to work on the island have disappeared without a trace. The local police have come and searched the island. They've searched the inn. They've turned up absolutely nothing. He's tried to call her, but she hasn't answered. So he's going to send her this letter special delivery. He's beside himself, and he'll never stop looking for these teenagers. He knows that she'll come help look for them as well. And the letter is signed, Edward Fear. So now it's time to freak out, okay? <laughs> we are officially, like, doing the pivot. Shit's getting real. The kids have only assumed that Martin has gone downstairs to secure Edward and then call the police. But they feel like the police should have been here by now. As long as Martin has called them, right? 
but it doesn't really matter. They have to get away from this place. They have to get out. They have to do whatever you can do. So kind of like, fuck you, Jan. Who needs Jan? Jan's gone. They'll find her later. Maybe. They're out. They're done. Their main objective now is to get off the island and get the police so they can come back for Jan. And as they're running along the corridors, they're trying to find the best way out of the house without running into Edward. They get to a door that they haven't seen before, but it's kind of ornate. It looks like it might be the door to like an office or a study. So they think there could be a phone in there. But when they poke their heads in, they see they're actually in a trophy room. A hunting trophy room. The type of bullshit parlor that usually has like a fireplace going and like every crawling creature imaginable has been taxidermied and mounted up on a wall. Yeah. They start to look around for a phone, and then they decide, this is a bad idea. This room feels bad. And we don't know why, but it's time to go. And as they turn to run out of the room, they notice that on the far wall, amongst all the other animals, there are four human heads taxidermied and mounted like trophies on the wall above the door time to go let's go <laughs> so they, right yeah now. if shit wasn't real before guess what it's now they make it out of the house they are running and sprinting away from the house as fast as they possibly can and the adrenaline is pumping hard and all the colors are brighter and all the senses are heightened and every blade of grass they can feel brush against their legs as they run and they don't care. They have to get out of there. They have to get out of there now. Eric starts counting those chickens before they hatch because he starts talking about how they're going to make it and how he knows they didn't see him. And Craig's like, dude, listen, we're not out of here yet. Why don't you shut the fuck up? We've got to get off this island. We don't know what their plan is. Like, we've got to get down to the stock somehow. Maybe we can steal a boat and drive it back to the mainland. And I guess I missed the part where they saw boats at the dock, but apparently there are. Maybe that's wishful thinking. I don't know. But when they get down to the gate, the gate is padlocked. And they can't get out. So they decide they're going to sneak back up to the inn. They're going to sneak around the woods to the back part of it to where the beach is. They're going to take some canoes they saw down at the beach. And they're going to go bayside and paddle those canoes to the next island. The canoes won't make it on the open ocean, but they'll probably get to the next island. It's yeah. better than being mounted in a trophy room. Let's give it a shot. So after much sneaking and freaking themselves out in the woods, they get to the dock on the other side of the island and they are shocked. Danielle, can you guess why? They're trapped. They are trapped because the canoes are gone. Oh. And then it starts to rain. Of course it. The moon is completely covered. It's very dark. Takari announces that she is drenched. She needs to get out of the rain. And me personally, <laughs> I'll be wet if it means that I won't be killed, but whatever. The boys right. are growing concerned about the lightning that seems to be getting closer. The very elements 
surrounding them seem to be pushing them back inside. Kari suggests, why don't we go to the pool house? Eric's like, that's a great idea. We could be inside, we could figure this out, but they probably won't be looking for us at the pool house. So they go. They, of course, they do all the shit that you see in movies. They trip over mm. deck chairs and they're as loud as they can possibly be, but they finally get to this pool house and they're having a powwow. And they're like, okay, what do we do now? You know, how can they get out the island? How can they leave the island? And Edward says from the doorway that that won't be possible. They've been invited to the party. He and his brother Simon are waiting for the party to start. And can they guess what kind of party it is? It's a hunting party. Can they guess who they'll be hunting this season? It's them. They are the ones they'll be hunting. And Carrie starts screaming and crying and telling Edward that he's crazy. And that sends Edward off. You know, he's very offended by that. And he sends a shot her way. But the backfire from the gun throws him back and he hits his head on a table and he goes down. And they don't wait for him to get up. They bolt for the door and they go out into the rain again. And now we're at part three. The party. This took a turn, didn't it? It did. It's like the world's most dangerous game. Yeah. Or what was that one? Um, there was a movie in the 90s where they a guy hunted a guy. And I feel like it's a group of people. Like These are all like super rich people and they drop them all in one area and they all try to hunt him. I forget what it's called though. Me if you remember what this movie is called, please, <laughs> group, let us know please because it's very that thing that's happening right now. So they're running blindly into the woods for a little while before they figure out this is probably not the best way to escape. Also, they're probably getting, you know, Edward exactly what he wants. He wants a good chase through the woods. So they decide logically the only way that they're going to get out is to find a phone. They have to go back to the inn to call the police. And just as they decide they're gonna make their way back up to the house, a gun goes off and they see Edward crouching in the bushes only a few yards away. Edward has to be like half stormtrooper because he seriously misses them from six feet away. Okay, the kids take off running towards the inn. Edward is shooting and laughing behind them, but they keep going. They know for a fact that there's a phone at the front desk, and that's the phone that they go for. They pick it up, no dial tone. They click it a couple of times, and then the dial tone comes up. They press zero for an operator, and a nasally man's voice comes across the other line. And they say, we have an emergency, we need the police. And the man says, okay, I'll connect you. And then there's a pause. And another man's voice answered, this is the police, how can I help you? And they explain the situation and he says, okay, we will be there in about 20 minutes, maybe less, and they hang up the phone. So the kids know if they can just hide, if they can only hide and stay hidden for 20 minutes that the police will arrive and this situation will be over. Just as they're trying to decide where to go, Simon Fear steps out of the door by the long registration desk. 
and the kids react with joy because they really thought that Edward had blown Simon away in that room. And somehow Simon's here and he's fine and he seems very confused and he's like, what are you doing here? Why are you out in the rain so late? What's happening? And, Carrie sa and Kari says, your brother is batshit crazy. He's trying to hunt us like game and we're trying to hide and we've already called the police. Also, Jan is missing. <laughs> so many things. There's a lot happening right now, Simon. I'm going to need you to be a leader, okay? With it. <laughs> Simon looks confused. But then he looks more amused. And he asks, is it another hunting party? Carrie starts to back up. And then Simon starts to transform. What? He messes up his hair. He takes off his stylish jacket. He unbuttons a few buttons in his shirt. He changes his posture. And now he has a limp. And out of his pocket, he pulls an eye patch. Oh, dang. fastens over his right eye. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. They watched in a matter of seconds Simon turn into Edward. Edward and Simon are the same person. This is totally Scooby-Doo. And they'd Scooby gotten away with it and it hadn't been for you meddling kids. <laughs> so now Edward slash Simon is yelling about how he couldn't possibly stop a hunting party. That wouldn't be sporting. Mm. I I didn't see it coming. Uh, this whole book, I thought we were going in one direction. And we no, were, I was like, I'm confused. <laughs> yeah. Simon slash Edward is confused. He's raving. I would never stop a hunting party. Craig tries to reason with Simon slash Edward. And he's thinking, okay, maybe I can get him talking. Like if I can just stall long enough for the police to get here. And Craig's oh. like, hey, bro. You don't have to shoot us. And Simon slash Edward is like, I wouldn't shoot you here in the lobby. That would not be sporting. You can go. You can run. You have one hour's head start. When the hour is up, I will come looking for you. Kari asks Simon slash Edward, where's Martin? They haven't seen him since he went downstairs with him earlier. And he refuses to answer that question. He fires a round off inside the lobby to get them moving. And they start screaming. They run. The hunt is on. The kids run out of their room. They find themselves back in the dining room where they had been doing the work before. And they all look at each other. They are exhausted. And they asked, where, where can they go? Where can they hide? And that's when they remember the secret passageway. They could hide in the secret passageway, at least until the police get there. It seems like the best place right now. Edward slash Simon may not think to look for them there. They might spend more of their time in the woods or searching through rooms in the house. But this time they don't have a flashlight. Oh. And they move in silence in the pitch black. They walk 
carefully down the spider-filled hallways of tunnels below the inn. Kari falls into a mass of spider webs and ends up freaking out and having the boys help her knock all the spiders out of her hair and off her skin as they crawl. Huge spiders. Remember, these are the size of grapes. And when they finally get her to calm down, and it seems like all the spiders have been squished, they realize they're standing in front of a door that they hadn't seen before. So they open it. And inside is a room with lots of crates in it in a nightstand with a telephone on it. They pick up the telephone and of course it's dead and that's when they realize all the calls at the inn go through a central switchboard. The one in the front office. The one where Simon slash Edward had come out of right after they'd called the police. They hadn't been talking to the police. They had been talking to Simon Slash Edward. And now they knew that the police were not coming. So he's the police and Edward. And <laughs> yeah, he was in there on the switchboard, like changing his voice and pretending to be the police. I don't even know. So they need a new plan. <laughs> they need a, yeah, they do. They really and truly do. Yeah. That's when they heard a cough coming from the back of the room. Eric starts to move deeper into the room to find out who's there, and it's like he just disappeared into thin air. The kids call to him, and he calls back. He's fallen through a hole in the floor. It's some kind of trap, a vent or something where someone's left the cover off. So they reach down and they try to pull him out, but then there's a voice from inside the room. Who's in the room, Danielle? Uh, well, it's not Edward or Simon, or maybe he's another person. Maybe he's the lady. He's doing everybody's voice. He's Ooh. the woman, too. Ooh, he's good at voices. <laughs> Do you think it's him in there? I think so. Why not? He seems to be everyone on the entire island. <laughs> everyone is played by this one showboating actor um no it's jan oh i forgot about jan and aunt rose oh jan is crying she's happy she's wondering how they ever found them rose says it's a very long story and she gives them a hug she said she did arrive on the island the day after they did, like she planned. She was feeling fine, so she took the ferry over, and Simon slash Edward met her at the dock and drove her to the hotel. But then he forced her into the tunnel and locked her in this room. When Kari asks Jen how she got there, Jan said that she was exploring the tunnel, and she got caught by Edward and was thrown into the room with Aunt Rose. And then she said that she owes the group an apology. Jan was tired of them always making fun of her for being into paranormal stuff and spooky stuff. And she wanted to teach them a lesson. She had set everything up that had been spooky. The tunnel that they found, she found it the night before. And she snuck in there and set up the skull on the table. She lied about seeing the ghost. She called Kari's name in the corridor that night, freaking her out. 
is Zach. She just wanted to get them back. She is Zach Baggins. <laughs> She's got tats and biceps and awesome guts. But she was tired of them making fun of her. So she's, she's really sorry. That was all her. Aunt Rose has basically been starved while she's been there. And she can't really walk very well. So they've decided they're going to try to sneak to the kitchen. Find her some food so she can run. Because that's how that works. And they can call <laughs> for help. But when they're in the kitchen, Martin comes in. This is the first time that we have seen Martin since he took Edward downstairs. So Martin immediately recognizes Aunt Rose. So she's a distant cousin. And she's like, what the hell is going on here, Martin? And Martin says, things have gotten out of control. Martin has worked for the Fear family for 30 years. And he's worked exclusively for Simon for the last 15. Simon is out of control. The psychiatrists on the Cape say that he was making progress, but in fact, he was kind of faking it. And he was splitting and splintering into more personalities than he thought possible. Simon, when he's speaking as Edward, decides that he's in love with the idea of hunting humans. And Martin plays this off as kind of a really sick joke. Simon is in love with this idea. He wants to carry this gun around everywhere. He invites the teenagers to the hotel. Martin had no idea the place has not been an inn for many, many years. They had no plans to have it up and running. Simon has lured these kids there to kill them for sport. Wow. He even requested that Martin send off for wax human heads as part of this nasty little joke to put up in their trophy room. Ew. So the human heads in the trophy room are not real. Martin understands it's time to go to the cops. It's, it's been time to go to the cops. The reason that they haven't seen him is because he went down to the dock to try to get the dinghy to go to the next island and get the cops. But the dinghy is missing. It's been hidden by Simon. There's no way off the, off the island. They don't know what they're going to do. And right about then, Simon slash Edward walks into the dining room with a rifle. He's dressed as Edward. He's got the eye patch. And he points the gun at Martin. He points the gun at Rose. He's making lots of threats. He feels like this isn't that sporting because they're all just kind of standing there. Kari starts slow walking towards Simon. Hey, just give me the gun, buddy. It's going to be all right. I promise, like, we can work this out. And then Simon starts having a three-way conversational fight with himself. Oh, my God. Slipping in and out of the personalities of Simon, Edward, and Greta, the woman's voice. I knew it. You were right. <laughs> and they're all arguing about what they should do with these kids. And while they're arguing, Kari kind of makes to grab for the gun. And Simon fires two shots into her chest. Kari doesn't move. She steps forward. Hey, it's all right. It's going to be fine. Simon fires another two shots at Kari. No effect. She gets close enough to jump him. And the boys tackle him and bring him down to the ground. And they tie him up. 
And the next scene is all of them in the dinghy going to the next island. So you've got this dinghy, you've got two boys, two girls, Aunt Rose, Martin, and Simon, who is bound, all heading to this other island. Okay, that is a crowded dinghy. The would sink, guys. Yeah, there's no way. It would, yeah, there's no way. It's a crowded dinghy. Eric's talking to Kari, asking her how did she know that there were blanks in the rifle. And Kari says that she remembered in the woods when Simon fired on them and was very close but didn't hit them. And then she remembered again when he fired shots in the lobby to get them to run, there was no damage done by bullets. And after understanding that Martin knew he had this obsession with hunting humans, she assumed that Martin would not have given him live ammunition. And she was right. Oh. Eric decides this is a bit of genius on her part, and despite the incredibly crowded dinghy, gives her a romantic kiss. And that's how it ends. That's a weird one. Right? 200 pages. 200 pages. 200 pages of what we thought was going to be a haunted hotel, which I'm on board for. All right, let's do this. Yeah. I was getting very haunted mansion vibes. And then we went in another direction. Very. I like this one, but it was kind of all over the show. Mm-hmm. That was it, was, it was all over the place. Well, it was hard to tell because it was kind of hard to follow. Yeah. I liked the three parts, but then it was also hard to follow. Here's, here's what I think. I think the reason that it wasn't as fluid as some of his other stories, because we've gotten, we had some dense stuff before when we did Blind Date. Blind Date was super dense, but it was also really good. Like it was easy to follow. We, we could retell that story easily. Mm-hmm. I think he tried to cram three books into three parts of one book. It was a lot. It was a good story. I liked it. It kept me interested, but. And I didn't see the ending going the way it did. So that's good. But. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, because there's so many books. I think that that's definitely commendable that we don't have it figured out every time. That's good. That's what we want. And again, I also enjoyed it. Like I, I saw the imagery. I was right there with them the whole time, like on the beach and like this beautiful inn. I mean, it was definitely word point. Yeah. I and, the house. Like I wish the house was more of a thing. Like not just right. Yes, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I I wanted a haunted inn. Like I wanted some like crazy shenanigans in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I did. I did like it. I, I I'm not saying in any way that I didn't. I did enjoy it. But but again, I felt like it was really lengthy. Mm-hmm. And if we would have broken that into at least two books, we would have had more time. Yes, I could see that being a two parter. And it would have been a little really flesh out the characters because we just we just don't get a lot from them other than you're a teen boy and you're a teen girl. And this is what happens. I mean, Jan was kind of a spooky bitch, but that was it. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed in Jan. She didn't do. I mean, I'm glad she got her revenge, quote unquote, kind of, you know, like that was funny. But she didn't really do much for me. I was like, 
Hello. Well, but even that was a little bit petty for me because I thought she was going to be more of a badass, and yeah. I feel like Jan wouldn't give a shit if they believed in her or not. Right. Danielle, do you want to talk about our exciting new Twitter account? Oh, yes, I do. So we have a Twitter. It's just at Snacks with Stein, no spaces, all squished together on Twitter. And I don't know how to use Twitter, but come and join us anyway. And we'll be on this journey of Twitter together. So find us on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, we always make jokes about how we're old, but really, we kind of are. Like, things like Twitter and Reddit are kind of above our heads. But we're learning. We're learning. We're engaging with some cool people there. What was the result of the yeah. milk poll on Twitter? Oh, shit, let me pull it up. Um, <laughs> I put a poll up from the last time when we did uh, Abominable Snowman in Pasadena. We had quite the discussion about milk. <laughs> This is when you know we're in quarantine because we're like, milk, let's have a poll about it. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Listen, (laughs) it's time. Okay, so Moo Cow Milk wins. Uh, Out of six votes, it has 50%. And a second is almond uh, milk at 33%. Oat milk came in at 16%. And soy milk came in at zero because it's disgusting. <laughs> well, I respect those choices. I can't yes. have cow's milk, but good for you. That can. Thanks, Twitter. But apparently oat milk is the shit. So there you go. It, I get it. It's kind of rare to find. It may be only be a California thing right now. Starbucks doesn't even have it yet. So shout out to Pete's. If people have Pete's in their state, they have oat milk. Try it out. Starbucks is lame. I'm saying it. They don't have it yet, and it upsets me. I'm like, if I'm going to pay 80 cents more for milk, I would like the milk I want. Thank you. <laughs> I am lactose intolerant. Give me my milk for free. <laughs> I could make you a t-shirt. Yes. <laughs> There's got to be some cool ones out there. It has to be. I will look. I will look. <laughs> but... While I'm looking for lactose intolerant t-shirts for Danielle, um, you guys relax because the next episode we're going to bring you Secret Agent Grandma. And I'm so excited because that is yet another poll and I was really hoping that they would come out that way. But Danielle's going to tell us more about that next time. And until that next time, we are out. Like that guy you had a crush on in high school. With a ponytail. Ooh, and a diamond stud. <laughs> <laughs>